0: take a moment and pray Heavenly Father we thank you for your enduring word let us be filled by your word this morning drawn ever closer in love to Christ Jesus this we pray in his name amen something very special happened christmas eve 1906 on christmas eve 1906 It was the first broadcast, radio broadcast, with a human voice. Before that time, the signal, and mostly to ships offshore, was done with Morse code, you know, dashes and dots. But there was an engineer, a fellow named Reginald Fessenden, he figured out how to broadcast his voice. And this was difficult, by the way, because you had to go through all the static and interference that's in the atmosphere. But on Christmas Eve, from his workshop in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, he sent a Morse code out to the ships, alerting them to expect a very special and important transmission. So the operators of the ships gathered around, and what they heard was just unimaginable. Before, all they had heard were dots and dashes, but now they were hearing the fullness of a human voice, the full range of sound, and they were in awe. Now, if you were Reginald, what would you first broadcast over the air? Well, this was Christmas Eve. And so what he did, he actually read from the Gospel of Luke, and it included the line, Glory to God in the highest. That was the section that he read, and then he played the violin, O oh, Holy Night. What a beautiful, awe-inspiring first broadcast of sound, isn't it? So in a like manner, God's Word cuts through all of the static, the interference, the culture, the angst, our sin, everything, it cuts through all of that. And it cuts through it, and it gives us, his word gives us promises of hope, of peace, of comfort. So this morning, in the sanctuary of a church, let's quiet ourselves for a little bit. Let's hear God's word, so that we too may find comfort may find that peace, may find that hope. This morning, we are going to take a look at God's promises of comfort, of His glory, of eternal assurance. And then when we are filled with that, we too can lift our voices up in praise of the good news. So let's begin with our text. Isaiah chapter 40, starting verse 1. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Now in the Old Testament, when any word is repeated, you need to pay attention to that because it's repeated there for emphasis for you to really take a look at it. It's underlined or highlighted, if you would. So what God is proclaiming here is not simply uh, a comfort of sympathy, like, oh, there, there, it'll all be better. That's not what he is giving here. It is a word of true consolation. God's comfort brings everlasting consolation, which is good news, especially for the nation of Israel, as we have covered in our uh, previous Advent sermons, that the nation of Israel was in a difficult situation because of their own doing, by the way. They had rebelled against God's word, His will. They were in sin, and we covered that in Jeremiah. We covered that in Micah. We are now covering that in Isaiah. In Isaiah, as a matter of fact, the beginning of Isaiah begins with harsh words against the rebellion that they have done against God. This is how Isaiah begins. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. That's how Isaiah opens up. Harsh words. And sometimes God has to use harsh words to get our attention. But his own people, the people he had redeemed, the people he had called out, are estranged from him. They had abandoned him. They had forsaken him. And so they were suffering the consequences of their sin. And there was warfare. Ultimately, they would be overtaken by the Babylonians. You know, as we've discussed, in our earthly relationships there sometimes comes a point where that person whom you love has forsaken you again and again and again and has despised you. And after a while, you say, I, I just can't. I can't anymore. I, I can't keep extending that love for the hurt that I received. And so in earthly relationships, as painful as it is, sometimes we part ways, right? We should be thankful that God's love is greater than that. Because even though we sin, even though we despise him, his love is steadfast. And that's what the Holy One of Israel had promised, that he would be steadfast in his love, even though people despised him. In God's steadfast love, there's a promise of salvation, which is the true comfort for all people. So we find that promise of salvation. As a matter of fact, that's the theme running through Isaiah. In fact, that's the, uh, Isaiah's name, name means Yahweh, or the Lord, is salvation. So we find that theme throughout. Now, knowing of God's steadfast love, even though the nation despised him. Let's read the words again. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to her, to Jerusalem, and cry to her for her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. So that first part, speak tenderly, by the way, Speak tenderly could be translated as speak to their heart. So God is literally speaking to their heart words of comfort, even though they have despised him. See, God continues to offer forgiveness of sin. That's why we do it every week, right? We confess our sin and receive forgiveness. In the Lord's Supper... It is a means of grace, receiving his forgiveness. This is what we have from our gracious God. And this is what God has promised in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 43. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor... Repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, a lot of people would say that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. That the God of the New Testament is one of grace, but I would say then you haven't read the Old Testament Grace abounds in the Old Testament because what's forgiveness of sins? Forgiveness of sin is grace, is it not? Forgiveness of sin is God's grace. And he says to Israel that her iniquity is pardon that she, re- she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That's what was highlighted on the last slide there. Double for all her sins. So how are we to understand the double forgiveness? Well, there's a song that you might know. I bet Regina knows this one. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sins. So, when you're talking about the double grace that God gives, it is grace that abounds in forgiving and pardoning our sins. And where do we find such grace? And who do we find such grace? Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, it says that He is grace upon grace, that double measure of grace, the full manifestation of God's grace. And in Him, we find forgiveness of sin. And about you, that's true comfort for me. Because the closer you draw to God, two things. You know how great his love is how ho- and how holy is and that you're not. And so he continues to draw you in, filling you with his love. That should be great comfort, the forgiveness of sins. And when you are drawn ever closer to God, you also see his glory. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. So in the days of Isaiah, there wasn't the Department of Transportation, you know, to go out and just level the roads. People actually had to go level the roads, especially when royalty was coming. They would make straight the roads. But are we talking about roads here? Are we talking about stone, dirt, and gravel? We're not, are we? Because this text is actually referred to who? Who do we associate this text with? John the Baptist, right? And John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, he certainly was not preaching about stone, dirt, and gravel. He was talking about straightening your way, your heart, your mind, your very soul. And it is straightened through one thing. It is straightened through repentance. And that's what John the Baptist preached, didn't he? He preached repentance. So the mountains of sin, of pride, of greed, of envy, of all the pettiness are leveled through repentance. And those who are low, who are hurting, who are humbled, are brought up. But do we do that by our own? We don't, do we? We talked about in Jeremiah, it is God who gives us a new heart. It is God who even in his will, who gives us the ability to repent. And it is God who makes straight the way. So, maybe for you, maybe for friends or family, the prayer should be, Lord, straighten my heart. Straighten the things that are crooked in my life. Keep me on your paths of righteousness. And Lord, for I've been in the valley for so long, lift me up, comfort me, draw me by your word and your promises. Draw me by the love of Christ Jesus. And when you pray like that, you see His glory. and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, we've tackled this in a number of ways. How do you explain the glory of the Lord? It's very difficult, I find, to explain the glory of the Lord. In the Old Testament, there's the appearance, the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord in the form of a supercharged war chariot coming down from heaven. When Jesus was born, the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. In Hebrews, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of the Lord, the exact imprint of His nature. And we also, by the way, see the glory of God in the cross. We see the glory of the Lord in Christ Jesus. This baby, right? We have the manger up here. And baby Jesus will appear for Christmas Eve. But in here, it's just not a baby. It is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the glory of the Lord. So if you if people want to know the glory of the Lord, point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. The unique glory of the Father is the same glory of the Son, full of grace. And truth there's a pastor, uh, he's now deceased, but Dr. S. M. Lockridge, he was the pastor of Calvary Baptist for forty years. He's well known for a sermon called he he's my King," And he tries to describe simply who Jesus is. So with nod to Pastor Lockridge. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's God the Son. He's a sa- sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's unparalleled. He's unpre- unprecedented. He is supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest idea in philosophy. He's the fundamental truth in theology. He's the miracle of the age. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tired. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards. He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He guards. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. He is my king. This is the glory of God. He is our comfort. He is the glory of God. And in him we have enduring eternal assurance. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry All flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the less I am interested in the temporal things. Oh, yes, I certainly have interest. I certainly have desires. I certainly wanted carpet. You know, lights. But but right, all of that, all of that is temporary, isn't it? It is temporary. And it fades and withers so, so quickly. And after a while, you kind of go, ah, it's like striving after the wind. We've talked about this before. Remember King Solomon? Wrote Ecclesiastes. It's amazing from that study in Ecclesiastes how much he's worked. It's, it's, God's word has worked its way into my life here. But it, King Solomon had everything. He said, then I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I'd expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained after the sun, under the sun. You know, the older I get, the more I I, I want to know what's enduring, what's eternal. And really, if I think about it, that's been the trajectory of my life, of what is enduring, what is eternal. And drawn evermore to God and his word. It is God and His Word that is eternal. Look. The values of the world are going to change, but God's word will remain. Our culture will create confusion, but his word gives clarity. God and his word will never fade, will never change. And let me ask you, who is the word of God? Jesus. He is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's why when Jesus said this, we can trust it fully. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Thus, when you get a promise from Jesus, a promise from God, you can trust it completely. For those who are in strife, for those who are in difficulty, For those who are hungering for something that is enduring, we have Jesus Christ and his word. It is by his word that we live. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he was in the desert, being tempted by the devil, how did he refute the devil? He said this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in Christ Jesus, we have his word, and he is also the bread of life. So we hunger for and we are satisfied by Jesus, by his word. And we, hold, and we should hold fast, and that should give us comfort. You know, I, I came across a story in a book by Charles Allen. It tells a story that in World War II, uh, it was drawn to a close. The Allied armies had gathered many of the orphans. And they were placed in camps where they were well fed. They were well taken care of. But they found that they still were not sleeping well at night. And one fellow came up with an idea. He gave them a piece of bread. Now, this bread wasn't to be eaten. It was just to be held close. And so when they went to bed at night, they held close that bread. And it gave them comfort that they would always have food available. When we hold Jesus, we cling to him and his word, we always have life, his life for us. And in that, we have great assurance. So we have comfort, we have his glory, we have his assurance. Now, what would you do as good Lutherans? As good Lutherans, or, or just even good Christians, you would sit in your pews and go, Amen, wonderful, right? Would you tell anybody? Mm, I don't know about that. Tell, tell somebody about good news? Yeah. Because this is how it ends here in Isaiah, in our reading. It says, Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Here's a paraphrase of that, by the way. Oh, It says, get way up on the top of a mountain. And by the way, you recognize those mountains? Four peaks, right? Go up to the mountains. Go up to four peaks. Get way up on four peaks where everyone can see you and hear you. Turn up the volume. Don't let your fears keep you silent and draw attention to God. Say to everyone around, look, it's your God. This is the good news. And good news is the gospel, right? It is the gospel that we have received. And we are to have no fear. It says right in there, fear not, fear not. Isn't that the same message that shepherds heard? Shepherds heard, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now that one, that one phrase, I bring you good news, is actually one word. And it literally translated would be, I announce the gospel to you. This is the good news, and we need not have any fear, any fear of sharing good news because good news breaks through the darkness. It breaks through the static. It breaks through everything else so that people may hear God's word, God's message of comfort, of his glory, of assurance, of grace, of forgiveness of sin. This week, this week, gratitude in your heart. Give thanks to the Lord for the comfort we have and the double grace of forgiveness through Jesus. Give thanks with gratitude for the glory that we have received in Christ and the assurance of his enduring word. And then, tell others. Tell them of this Marvelous gift of grace that we have all received in Christ Jesus. And to that everyone says, Amen.